Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The Reverend Donnie Anderson has been a presence in Rhode Island politics for more than two decades, including 13 years as the executive minister of the Rhode Island State Council of Churches and later as a candidate for state senate. She's now the newly elected chair of the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus and the first transgender woman to serve in that role. We'll talk about her priorities for the caucus and the state of transgender rights in this country. That's after this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with the Reverend Donnie Anderson, the newly elected chair of the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus. Thank you for joining us and congratulations on your new position. Thanks so much, Ed. To start with, can you explain to our listeners what the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus is and how long it's been around? Sure. So several years ago, uh, there were some changes that were made in the Rhode Island Democratic Party, and a group of women felt like they were losing control of their ability to nominate people to raise money and have control over that. And so they formed a separate organization that would give Democratic women the opportunity to raise money, endorse candidates, and promote Democratic candidates that were consistent with the national Democratic platform. So now the, the caucus does make its own endorsements in that's correct right. we do make our own endorsements and you know we've only been around for a few years yeah, so yeah. we're still in our infancy in many ways i'm hoping that you know we're moving into our adolescent years and uh doing some things a little differently and becoming a little more organized and that's part of the reason i ran i have i believe some organizational skills and would like to help to bring those to build the organization and to help us even become more intentional about endorsing people, encouraging people to run, and to work really hard at building a more significant war chest. Because when you're encouraging people to run for the first time, one of the big inhibitors is money. Right. Uh, Even running for a local election, those lawn signs and coming up with the postcards and the postage for that and other kinds of things adds up pretty quickly. And so we want to be there to say, 
we not only want to encourage you to run, but we want to stand with you. Hopefully, we can help recruit some volunteers, and we can also help you get started with your finances. So is that one of your priorities as chair now to uh, do some fundraising? Absolutely. We've done some fundraisers in the past. We'll continue to do those kinds of fundraisers. But, you know, when I meet with people, especially people who have capacity, I'm going to ask them to say, you know, if this really matters, if these values that we share together really matter, then we have got to support people who want to run. And I'm thinking in particular for people running for school committees. This is where we're starting to see some inroads of people who have perspectives that are radically different from our values. I'm just curious, what's the relationship right now between the caucus and the, and the Rhode Island Democratic Party? Because it was tense when the caucus broke away. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think at this point, we're all trying to figure out how to be able to hold to our principles and do what we want to do. We're not interested in fighting with other Democrats. That's not what we're about. There's a real enemy out there, and it's coming across the country, and we've already seen some sample legislation that's introduced here, legislation that I believe is anti-America, and that's the enemy. That's what we want to push against. Yeah, what's the legislation you're talking about that's anti-American? So one of the values that we really hold to is the value of separation of church and state and of choice and the fact that anywhere in America there would be people trying to deny anyone choice about what happens to their body is something that we stand against. And one of the things we did here in Rhode Island that was really pretty sad, I think, in 2019, we passed a law that gave people the right for choice in health regarding abortion. And yet at the same time, we still let stand intentional legislation that denies people who are covered by the state employee health system and by people covered by Medicaid to deny them full abortion health care. And that is something that uh, we're really working on. Yeah, last year's assembly session ended the day before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And this year, there is a renewed effort to pass the Equality and Abortion Coverage Act, which would provide coverage, abortion coverage for state employees and those on Medicaid. So is that one of the caucus's top legislative priorities? Yes, it is. That is one of our top priorities. One of the other top priorities is focusing in on bills, both at the state level and the local level, that are against things like students who identify as transgender or non-binary, or the banning of books from libraries, this kind of conservative look at the world that wants to take away an understanding of the fact that there's a lot of diversity in America. I mean, I was taught that diversity was an intentional thing, that we wanted to have a diverse population, and that America had become great because people came from all over the world, and when they came here and worked together, a great nation was created. Now, as I've grown up and studied, I've realized that although ideologically that's good, that hasn't always had a good side to it, right? There's been some real negative parts to that. But the aspirational side of America, where all people really are created equal and all people have access, 
is really important. And so this kind of onslaught of legislation that's coming in both at the local level and at the state level needs to be opposed. And we need to elect people who are going to oppose that, even though they may face really difficult opposition, as some of those people are. Yeah, the group Parents United Rhode Island is asking school committee candidates to pledge to, quote, oppose all efforts to teach our K-12 students any divisive race-based or gender-based theory and any inappropriate and explicit sexual content and to support a parent's bill of rights bill. What's your reaction to that pledge? I think that pledge is misinformed. I think that the way people interpret that pledge is terribly wrong. There are things that a lot of folks are just unaware of, and they think they're doing a good thing, but they're really doing great harm. For example, let me talk just a second about the world I live in, the world of transgender and people who identify as non-binary. The attempted suicide rate in the general population is just over 4%. In the transgender population, it's over 40%. And when we talk about adolescence, it's more like 50%. So when we talk about denying the existence of non-binary and transgender youth, and we say to people in schools, you can't talk about it, you've got to ignore it, those students often have nowhere else to go, and they feel like it's hopeless. I mean, try to remember what it was like for you as an adolescent. Remember that first person, that first love affair that broke up? You thought, oh, I'll never love again, you know, because, you know, you don't have a lot of life experience. Now, it's cute maybe when, you know, it's that first breakup. It's not cute. It's not cute when you think that maybe you're a freak and that maybe you really shouldn't exist. And so you decide to take your life. This happens all the time. Some people are fortunate enough to be in families that are supportive and care and get their students the care that they need. But then there's a lot of them that are out there alone. And so they have religious people telling them they're sinful and bad. They have political people putting this out there, and now the schools can't be there. This also gets applied to libraries. So we need to stand against that. And one of the places we need to stand against that is in local school committees. This is really, really important. Yeah, tell us a bit about your personal story. You're the first transgender woman to chair the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus. I understand that you had a sense that you were transgender when you were nine years old? That's right. I tried to have a conversation with my mom. It was back in 1956. My parents loved me, but there was no room. There was no language. There was no conversation here. I came from a very conservative religious background. You know, anything out of what they considered ordinary, you know, was definitely taboo. And so I grew up Knowing there was something different about me, not understanding what it was, I thought I was a freak. I mean, I really did. And that went on for a very, very long time. I mean, it wasn't until I was really, really on into my adult life that I even began to understand what the concept of transgender was. Back in the 50s and going on forward, if you were a male and had any inclination towards the feminine, that meant you were gay. Well, that's fine if you're gay. But I wasn't gay. I was attracted to women. So there was no com- there was no conversation. There was no vocabulary. There was nothing. Remember, no internet, 
None of that, right? And, you know, there were no books in the library, but even if there were books in the library, you know, the librarian at my little library in Western Cranston was this lovely little old lady. I think they built the building around her. And um, if I had ever gone to her and started talking to her about anything related to gender or sex, I mean, I think she would have just died right then and there <laughs> if I could have ever gotten the words out. So we were fortunate. There's more information. There are resources for help. But these people want to take the help away. It's like saying there's someone out there drowning and someone's ready to throw in a life preserver. And they're saying, no, let's make a rule. You can't throw life preservers to that drowning person. That's what they're doing. You didn't try coming out again until you were 69 years old. What was it like living with such a profound secret for that long? It was really hard. It was really hard. For much of that time, I didn't understand what was going on. And for a long time, when I didn't understand what it was, I just kept thinking, you know, I've got to keep this freaky part of me down. And then when I found out that, no, this isn't freaky, this is just who you are, and that I started to understand who I was, then it became even more difficult to try to keep it under control. And I just absolutely had to come out and share that. And I will tell you, although there has been some really horrible reaction, I wouldn't, I'm not going to deny that. I do think it's important for people to realize here in the state of Rhode Island, for me, I received so much more support than I did hate. But let's remember, I'm well-educated, I'm financially stable, and I'm white. And that makes a huge difference. And so I thank God every night that I live in Rhode Island. I do, because this, this is a place where people have cared for me. But when I share that story, I think it's also important to say, this is not everyone's story. In fact, there are many people for whom this is exactly not their story. Mm -hmm. And we need to be really careful not to think that the battle is won. The battle isn't won. And one of the reasons why I think it's important that the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus are true enough to their word to say that women are women, that they really were willing to elect me as their chair. I've been on the executive committee for two years, and not once, not once did any one of those women ever cause me to think that I was anything less than just somebody who ought to be there and one of the women that are there. And so if anybody deserves credit for this, it's those women because they're standing true to what they believe. You're the former executive minister of the Rhode Island State Council of Churches. So I'm, I'm curious, since you've come out, what kind of reaction have you received from your fellow clergy members? Has it been support or silence or both? All of the above. Uh, so uh, I have one, for example, friend who I will go unnamed, but who, and I don't want to say too much about this person because Rhode Island is Rhode Island, uh, but this person only feels free to have coffee with me in my home. If they were seen with me in public, they probably might lose their church. Hmm. Okay? So there's that aspect of things. But then there's a whole bunch of other clergy who are so welcoming and, you know, recognize me. Uh, with great support and great love. I live in Providence, but I have this marvelous half-time responsibility at a church in urban New Bedford, right near the Zyterian Theater, that is just the greatest ever. So 
I, I mean, I really, you know, I have my cake, I'm eating it too. There's even a cherry on top as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> You've said the media often focuses on the journey to transition for transgender people and less on the new life they experience. So tell us what your new life is like. Oh, oh, boy, I'll tell you, that's great. So fortunately, I have four children. All four embrace me wonderfully. I have seven grandchildren who are just wonderful and I'm able to be a minister. I was fearful that I might not be able to carry on in the profession that I love. I mean, I joke with people, but it's only half joking. If you cut me, I bleed pastor. I mean, that's who I am, right? It's not just what I do, it's who I am. And so my fantasy before coming out and thinking if I came out, what I really wanted to do was to be able to be a minister totally out there with a pink clergy shirt. I get to do that every Sunday. I mean, it's so cool. And then I really, over the years as I was involved, especially was at the Council of Churches, we were involved in issues related to social justice and legislation, but we never could be involved in things that were partisan because I really believe in the separation of church state. Now that I'm no longer in that position as an ind as an independent citizen. I can now become involved in partisan politics. That's fine. I even ran for Senate last summer. I mean, I got swamped, but I got to run, and that was great. What does success look like for the Rhode Island Democratic Women's Caucus this year, and what about the next five to ten years? Here's our goal this year. We want to have at least 10 what we're calling friends-making meetings where we get people together around the state, at least one in every county. I really want more than 10, but that's kind of the bare minimum. 10 to 20 people in a home in an evening just having a conversation where we listen to what people are saying and then put together a plan this summer based upon what we've heard that will really help us create an infrastructure and a war chest and then go out and recruit candidates to run for office, especially in these local offices, and support them so that in 2024, when we have another election, that there are more women elected who are consistent with our values and the National Democratic Party's platform. And, wh and what's your hope for the state of transgender rights in that same time frame? I hope that more of us can be in places where folks can see us and say, oh, I'd like to be a political person, or, you know, in my case, I'd like to be a clergy person, that they would see some of us and say, yeah, I can do that. The other thing is that it's very, very important that we make sure that in our libraries and in our schools that young people are protected from these vicious evil, incredibly harmful attacks that people are making. If there is anything that happens in the state, I mean, if it is humanly possible, I will personally be there to stand with those young people. And I know there are other people who will come in and stand with us as well from the caucus. Reverend Anderson, thank you for joining us today. I was delighted to be here. Thanks, Ed. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. A North Kingstown man who was seen on video shoving police officers at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th has pleaded guilty to a felony charge. Amanda Melkovitz has the details. Alexa Gagas has an interview with one of the founders of Epic Renewal, 
a business designed to offer low-cost composting services for homes, businesses, and events. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor, follow the show, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.